I have actually shared parts of this message before, so if you remember me saying this before, just bear with me. I think it's stuff that needs to be reiterated from time to time. When Mike first called me and asked me about filling in for him this weekend, I usually, I got to be honest with you, I'm usually really excited when I get an opportunity to preach. And I think most of you, you'd understand what I'm saying. Whatever you have a calling to do, whatever you have a skill set to do, and you have a passion about it, you want to be able to use that. You want to be able to express it. And I believe that since I was about nine years old, I've had a calling on my life to preach. Now, due to nothing to God and errors that I've made, I've put myself in a position where it's not easy to do that. It's a long story. So I want, to, I want to say for the church, I usually try to say this when I preach, thank you very much for affording me the opportunity and not as soon as you see that Mike's not here and I'm the one preaching, turn around and heading for the hills, hey, we're going to have a break. I, I respect, And everybody needs a break, I get that. But when he first asked me, I, usually I'm really excited about it. And this time I was like, I have no confidence in anything that I'm sharing today. I have no, usually... It, I tell you what, I've read and talked to people who have actually been in combat where they've been shot at, and a lot of them will tell you that it's easier being shot at than standing in front of a group of people and talking to them. For some people, that is like the biggest fear in the world. Now, with me, I've never had a problem with it. As long as I have this much knowledge of what the subject matter is, I think I can get up in front of SIU Arena and wing it for about half an hour. Now, I don't know if that's a good thing or it's a bad thing, but I just, I've always been able to do it. It's not been a problem. Like I took a few speech classes in college. I did really good with it because I don't have a problem with standing in front of people and talking if I get the opportunity. But this time I was really apprehensive to do it because I just, I, for one, usually I have five or six ideas in the back of my head where I can make a message out of really easy. And I have a whole, like a, a preacher friend of mine years ago said that what you do, if you're going to be a preacher, you should have enough messages prepared and stored away in a file or on your computer to cover every week for one whole year. So I've been striving to do that. So if there's 52 weeks a year, you figure two messages a week, that's like 104 messages. I have like 40 that I have put together at any given time I could get out of the bank and use. But for this time, I was like, I have nothing. I felt no like burning desire of anything that I'd like to share. And I was crying out to God because I tell you what, the subject matter we're talking about this morning, it's more for me, it really truly genuinely is than it is for probably anybody in this room. Because my worship and my time alone with the Lord lately has really fallen off with my new job. I mean, it's, it's you got to sometimes... For one thing, life is not going to give you time to seek the Lord. You've got to choose it. You've got to make time happen. And, you know, that's a whole other message, and I don't want to get into that. But lately, the last few months, I mean, my quiet times, my time of seeking the Lord has just really been limited. And I, I'm desperate to get back in a closer relationship with him more and more all the time. Now, I know this, and I tell you what, I want you all to be reassured and encouraged by the fact, if you know Jesus... Don't stress over how much time you spend and all that. If you can spend more time with him, great. But you're not saved by those things. I want to say that right from the start. We are saved by faith and grace, period. But it really helps strengthen our relationship with the Lord the more time we spend with him and seek. And you know what? That relationship will flow through us into other relationships with people around us. It really does. There's something about it where it really improves 
our situation with all the people we come around. But in the process, I'm like, God, I have nothing. I don't know what to share on like this. And I, wanted, I didn't want to refuse the opportunity by any means. But having said that, I didn't know. And then I tell you what, this song, this last one we did, Heart of Worship, has been on my heart probably from the minute that Mike asked me to share. I had, this is an old song. I think it was written when? 1997. So, you know, it's, it's an old song. But it's been on my heart that whole time, and I've been going over and over the words. And this, this song really has a great story behind it on how Matt Redman wrote that. And we'll get to that in a minute, hopefully. But I'm getting back to the heart of worship, and that just resounded in my head. And I guess for a thing of confirmation, there's this little bitty book that a sister in Christ gave me as a gift, I think, for my birthday like 20-something years ago. Little bitty book like this. Could you bring that slide up, please, where it shows it? It's called Worship as David Lived It. And, I, you know, a person that's a, that likes to read could probably read this book in, a, in an afternoon. There's not, there's not a whole lot of content to it, but it is profound and powerful. And the thing that Mr. Cornwall, who wrote it, brings it out is David, who is accredited with writing almost half of the Psalms, and we know he was a musician, and he, we know he was a worshiper, they bring it out in this book that his worship experience with the Lord probably did not happen so much in playing the harp and singing as it did out in the backside of the field with the sheep as a shepherd. In the mundane task of his reality and his work, that's where his worship came out. And I tell you what, this little book, if you read it and you, you look up the scriptures that support it, it can set you free in that, that no matter what it is that you do, you, it can be an act of worship to the Lord. And let me stress this, I love music and I'm not trying to disrespect music. I love coming to church and I'm not trying to disrespect the gathering together in a community of believers in the church. But these things are not worship. They are tools to facilitate worship. Music is one of the greatest things that God has ever given us. I love it. I love everything about it. I even like the idea of music I don't like, just because I know there's people out there that like it. It's a great thing. And especially for worship, when we put the Word of God as lyrics to it, it I don't know how many times in my life, I'm sure some of you can agree, where I've been down, depressed, wondering, God, are you even in any of this? And then I'll hear the right song, and it changes all that. Music is so incredible. And I tell you what, nobody's getting through this alone. Don't listen to this idea. Now, technically, or technically might not be the right choice of words, if a person has come to know Jesus and they've asked Jesus into their heart and they meant business, yes, they are going to go to heaven, period. They don't necessarily have to darken the doors of a church. However, if you are truly a disciple of the Lord, we are not only encouraged to be in fellowship, we are commanded to be in fellowship. And not just for ourselves. You don't know the difference you can make in somebody's life when you show up to fellowship and you just have a smile for them. Or just, you know, an encouraging word or something. It's not just for us. It's so that we can take part in it and invest into others also. Even in the smallest little things that we take for granted. I tell you what, we, let's think about it sometimes. How a person's smile, a genuine smile, like, you know, I'm really glad to see you, has made all the difference in your day. I work with Sherry Rose. Please don't hold that against me, okay? In fact, I would ask that you would pray for me. Now, I give her a lot of business about it. I give it, it's a long story, but half of Randolph County got COVID last year, and I blame it on her. Why? Because it was fun to do. She has it in her office, which she's hidden away now, but there's this disinfectant gun. It's really a gun that has this, this 
canister of disinfectant in it and you can spray it. Every time I go in her office, I pick that up and I like spray it in her direction. And she goes, what are you doing? And I'm like, because I don't want to get COVID. So I figured there'd be more laughter on that. But anyways, I joke with her all the time. I give her a ton of business about that and probably I shouldn't. But you know what? It makes an absolute difference when I come into work and I see Sherry there and she's got a smile on her face and she's got something encouraging to say. And you know what makes all the difference in the world? And in the environment we work in, not everybody's a believer. And a lot of them are just, I'm telling you, their philosophies and ideologies are so far gone, it's not even funny. So I tell you what, just being in the room with a sister in Christ that I know loves me and prays for me makes all the difference in the world. So I'm telling you, coming into fellowship together cannot be, we can't take it for granted, don't miss. But those things are not worship. They can be an act of worship, they can be inspired by our worship, but they're not worship. I'll bring you more than a song, because a song in itself is not what you have required. Worship is saying the Lord is worthy. You are deserving of everything in my being. You are deserving of every thought that I have. You are deserving of every action that I can do in today's time. The great, there's a writer, a Christian writer by the name of A.W. Tozer, some of the most profound things I've ever read, and he said this, the highest thought that man could have is God. There's no higher thought, there's no higher thing that we can do is to put our affections and our emotions, our mind, our will on the reality of the Lord God and the fact that we are His. Worship is about saying he's worthy. Worship is about him. It's all about you, Jesus, not me. I have preferences. We all have preferences. I like a lot of the newer stuff, but I tell you what, I love the old hymns too. Yeah, you can have entire Bible studies out of the old hymns. I mean, there's the encouraging stuff about it that's true right out of the pages of the Word of God. And if you really concentrate, I know, okay, we come to church a lot of times on Sunday morning, we're tired. Some of us have been doing really hard work in our life, like staying up at 3 o'clock in the morning playing video games. And it's hard to get here, not saying me, but I know people. But we get here and we're tired, we don't want to do it, and we're not really concentrated. But if you really stop and focus your attention on not what everybody's wearing, or if they're looking at you because you spilled coffee all over your shirt this morning, or any of that, and you really concentrate on what the words are saying... And put that as an action of praise and prayer to the Lord. It can change your life. Every one of the songs we did this morning, which most of the songs we do most of the time, can do that. Now, to get to what I want to talk about. In conservative theological schools of thought, there is a rule for interpreting certain passages of Scripture in the Bible called the rule or the law of first mention. In other words, the first time that an item or a phrase is mentioned in the Bible the context and the culture of it then sets the precedence of how you interpret that item all throughout the rest of Scripture. Now, there are trade-offs with that. There can be problems that come up because there's certain things like of evil that's mentioned in the, in the you know, first in the Bible, and you don't want to build doctrines about doing evil. Having said that, we understand how to interpret the things about evil going forward because of the first mention that it's there. So it really helps set the precedent of how you, you, like especially a word, the word worship, for example. You get the idea of how it should be interpreted throughout the rest of the scripture. The first time we see the word worship in the word of God is in Genesis chapter 22. Rusty, could you bring that verse up, please? 
Genesis 22, verse 5, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. That's the first time the word worship is mentioned in the Bible. Genesis 22, 5. I believe there's three distinct items that can be ascertained in Abraham's actions and words that he did right here. Three things, obedience, faith, and sacrifice. When we talk about the first one, obedience, Genesis 22 at the beginning of that chapter, starting in verse 1, and I think that I had it set up where the, the passage is really small on the overhead, so bear with me. I'll just read it out. Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 3. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Two, faith. In verse 5, if you look closely, Abraham, knowing that he was getting ready to put his son on the... And you've got to understand, when we say that Abraham is the father of the church, like Romans chapter 4 is a great chapter, read through it and you see this stuff. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Anybody ever remember reading that? Abraham believed God. What did he believe God about? God made a promise to him that you will be the father of many nations. That if you could go to the seashore and count the grains of sand, that would be the number of your descendants. That was the promise. It was relationship. It was his son. And I think it's interesting it says in there his one and only son, even though he had another trying to do God's will on his own, he had another son, Ishmael, and that caused a whole lot of problems. But if you look closely, the Bible says you're one and only son. This was his promise. This was the promise fulfilled. He had waited for decades. He desired, he longed, he wanted to have a family. He wanted to have children and finally God manifested it to him. It's here. He's arrived. It's happening. And then what does God tell him to do? Take your son, take him up to Mount Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Now I will say this. Later on we see in the scripture, it's not a contradiction. It's a discrepancy, but it's a fact. God says, I never, it never even entered into my mind to do human sacrifice. The point was not to sacrifice Isaac. The point was to see if Abraham was going to hold anything back in his obedience to worship. So when Abraham's going up the mountain and he knows he's going there to sacrifice his son, he still goes in faith. If you look back at verse 5, he says this, we're going to go up there and worship and we're going to return to you. He knew this was God's promise. It wasn't over yet. The saga had not come to an end. He knew by faith, even if he had to plunge that knife into his son and burn his corpse, he was coming back down that mountain with that boy. In Hebrews eleven nineteen, we see it in the Hall of Fame of Faith. Abraham, he knew that God was able to resurrect people from the dead. And if he had to actually kill his son, God was going to resurrect him right there. He knew he was coming down that mountain with his boy obedience to what God told him to do and faith that no matter what, God was going to honor his word to him. And the third part of it is sacrifice. Even though he knew God was going to resurrect that boy if he actually had to go all the way through it, it still had to hurt. I don't know about you guys. I've had several times in my life where God has called me to put things on the altar. 
and it's hurt. I went through a period of my life for four years where, before Amy came in the picture, where I, God told me I wasn't, I, I didn't date. I didn't do anything. I hung out. I had a, a friend of mine, a guy that we would go see movies together, and you'd have to know him. He's, he's really feminine. Doesn't mean to be, but that's just the way he is. And we would go to the movies, and I would make him sit three seats away from me, okay, because I didn't want anybody to think that we were there on a date. So true story. And a great guy. We, we have a lot of the same interests. He's a, he's a nerd like me, and we watch sci-fi stuff. But he would, because he, he'd want to talk to the movies anyways. I'm like, no, Joe, just sit over there three seats away so nobody thinks we're together. Where was I going with that? <laughs> God told me I don't want you even messing around with relationships right now because I tell you what, every relationship I'd ever been in my life came to nothing. I was terrible at it. In fact, I might still be really terrible at it. But the point is, I had to put all that on the altar. And I tell you what, I had a, a burning desire that I wanted to be a father. It was a big thing to me. Some of you, you, those of you who are parents, you know what I'm talking about. It's the greatest thing in the world is being able to have children. It really is. But I had to put that on the altar. And I tell you what, I really believed that were times in that four-year period where that's it. It's gone. It's sacrificed. Get over it. Deal with it. Lord, your way is best. And that's all it is. And before I know it, four years later, later Amy's in the picture. Every time I've had to put something on the altar in my heart, even though I don't like it, I know that God's way is best. And anything he would ever ask you to give up or sacrifice or let go of, he's going to give you something better. In my high school years before I got saved, I was running the streets. I was an idiot. I was looking for every place to fit in. I was involved in chemical substances and all this. And when I first got saved, the Lord told me, you have got to get rid of all your friends. But Lord, I want to see all of them get saved and come to know you too. I understand that. Pray for them. But you can't run with them and you can't hang with them. Because even you think you're, you know, I've used this analogy several times like with the youth. If you're standing on a chair, which is easier to do for you to pull somebody up onto that chair with you or for them to pull you off? I don't care how strong you are, it's a lot easier for somebody to pull you off that chair. And it's kind of the same thing. I had to stay away from those friends because I guarantee you if I was running around with them when three to six months, I would have been totally backslidden and back doing the same idiotic things I was doing. The point of this is that even though I had to give up all of my friends, within no time at all, God gave me a family. He gave me brothers and sisters in Christ, spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers to till this day, 35 years later, they're still in my life. They're still wonderful. I said it last night. I'm going to say it again because I just think it's funny. A friend will help you move. A good friend will help you move a body. Now, I'm not saying my good friends would help me move a body. I think they'd be saying, Chris, you need to call the law and do the right thing. But I'm telling you, I have brothers and sisters in Christ that if I needed something right now today, they would drop everything they were doing and come and help me out. Family. Whatever I've had to put on the altar, no matter what it is, whatever sacrifice the Lord has brought me to, he always gives something better if you just be patient. And you know what? 18 years later, I conned this woman into marrying me 18 years later. I think we have a pretty good marriage. But every relationship I'd ever had before that... I was an idiot. I didn't know what I really, I can't blame it on not knowing what I was doing. I knew what I was doing. I just didn't want to do the right thing. 
You do it the Lord's way, and his way is always best no matter what. You will love the outcome of it on the other side. You have to be patient. In fact, it's, it's been said before that the worst suffering that we have to do in the Western world as a Christian is a suffering of patience and waiting for him to bring into a promise. Obedience, faith, and sacrifice. Some points on this really quickly. We need to regularly stop and ask ourselves what our worship is and who is it truly for. I love going to church on Sunday morning and singing those old hymns. Well, is that what it is? It's because you're getting something out of it. And there's nothing wrong with having a sense of fulfillment in what you're doing to serve the Lord. There's nothing wrong with enjoying those things. But we have to stop and ask ourselves, what is our motivation? I shared this last night. I really want to share a little bit of it today. I love being able to play guitar from the church. I love it. It's like my biggest hobby and everything. I look forward to it every weekend. I hope I'm not getting on your nerves by playing all the time with it or maybe my guitar is too loud. I love everything about it. But there's a lot of times that I don't get to really enter into worship or express my worship to the Lord because I have to worry about getting the next chord right or singing the next line right. And I love doing those things, don't get me wrong, but I don't have a lot of opportunity to just stop and worship the Lord myself. We were on vacation in Branson a few weeks ago, and we went to Silver Dollar City for the first time, one of the greatest experiences of my life. I love that place. But there was a little chapel. In fact, it was, real, it was really a chapel from about 150 years ago that they moved it on there. It was like a log cabin chapel. And there was a lady in there with a piano and probably 150 hymnals, and the idea was you just sit down, you go through there, you find a hymn you like, and you shout out the number, and she would start playing it, and everybody would sing it. And I was sitting there, and I was weeping. I was just weeping because I was able to, like, have a time of saying, Lord, you deserve everything. And I don't get, I, I'm not complaining. I love being a part of this team. I love being a part of this church. I love playing guitar. I love what we get out of it. Or are we doing because of what we're doing for the Lord? Worship in its most fundamental aspect is stopping and truly acknowledging that God is worthy of all and everything. In studying for this message, I found a few really good quotes on worship. Rusty, could you bring those up, please? The first one was by Jack Hayford. Worship changes the worshiper into the image of the one worshipped. The next one, please, sir. To worship is to know, to feel, to experience the resurrected Christ in the midst of the gathered community. It is a breaking into the Shekinah, or in other words, the manifested glory or the manifested presence of God, or better yet, being invaded by the Shekinah of God. That was by a Richard Foster. But this next one, please. Now, it's going to be really small print, and I'm sorry about that. This quote is from Matt Redman. If you don't know Matt Redman, he wrote that song, Heart of Worship, that we did this morning. He's written some of the greatest modern praise and worship songs ever. 10,000 Reasons, are you familiar with that song? We sing it quite a bit. He's the one that wrote that. He had, definitely has a gifting and a calling from God on this. But he wrote a book about his experience as a worship leader, and this quote is from that. So often when my worship has dried up, it's because I haven't been fueling the fire. I haven't set aside any time to soak myself under the showers of God's revelation. Often time is the key factor. But if we can find space to soak ourselves in God's word, his presence, his creation, and spend time with other believers, then we'll find that the revelation floods back into our lives and our hearts will respond with a blaze of worship once more. That was such a great quote. Let me tell you the story of the song Heart of Worship. He's an Englishman. He lives in London when he's not on the, tour, on the road. 
touring, and a few years ago, this song, like I said, it was written 1997, it was around that time, his pastor heard from the Lord, and they decided that for the time being, there would be no music in the church. Because the pastor, the worship band, everybody had gotten caught up in the, fa- in the idea that their music was worship. Music, again, is a tool to facilitate worship, but it's not worship. So the pastor said, no music for the time being. We're going to have to find other ways to express our worship to the Lord. They did a lot of responsive readings and stuff like that. And at the end of that time, that's when Matt was inspired to write this song. Coming back to the heart of worship when it's all about you. Music's great. You know, I don't think God cares if you use a tuba or a tambourine or nothing. Where's your heart at in it? And occasionally we need to stop. I need to stop and ask myself, Lord, what is my motivation behind doing what I'm doing? I love playing guitar. I have such a great time. Well, that's my, my hobby. And I'm so thankful to God that both my boys are catching the sickness too. They're getting into it all. Rusty's really coming along with his playing. I think Victor's more concerned about his hair than his playing, but hey, it, it's coming along with it. And some would say that if you're going to play rock and roll, you got the hair has to come first anyways. But <clears throat> I love it. But a lot of times I have to stop and ask myself, what is my motivation, Lord? Now, there's nothing wrong, and he's never told me don't play. Just get your motivation right. Get it under the blood. Repent of it. God, I want to do it for you. One more point about our expression of worship, and then I'm going to close on this. Let's talk about one simple way that we have to express our worship that I don't know. Excuse me if you're aware of this, but the idea of raising your hands is all over the Bible. It's all over the Bible. I've heard some old hardliner Baptists, love them, don't have anything against them, but I don't know if I want to go to that church where they're all raising their hands. That's not in the Word of God, praise God. Yeah, it is. It really is. In the New Testament, if you really want to know where it's at, I can look it up for you, but it talks about raising holy hands without wrath or doubting. It's an act of worship. In fact, I learned early on, and I love this, that you know what this is? This is a universal sign of surrender. Universal sign of surrender. God, I don't want to fight anymore. You have your way. You have your way. And it's also plead like a little child. Daddy, I need you to hold me. I said all that to say this. Everybody has different ways of expressing their worship to the Lord, and I'm not going to in any way try to disregard that or disrespect it. But I do want to address something in this that's been on my heart for a long time, and this is for everybody, but especially the men. If the Holy Spirit puts on your heart that maybe you should raise your hands and worship occasionally, and if you don't, and your motivation is, well, I don't want anybody to think I'm trying to be holier than thou, something I'm not, I respect that. If your motivation is, I'm not going to raise my hands or come up to the altar when the Holy Spirit's caught, you know, pulling me to do so, I'm not going to do it because I'm worried about what other men or other people might think about me. Let me tell you something, that motivation is cowardice. Everybody worship in different ways. And if your form of worship, the way you express of worship is just to stand there and to sing the songs, fine. I'm not going to judge you on that. But if the Holy Spirit is putting it on your heart to do it and you don't do it, you need to ask yourself why. Now let me tell you something. I wrestle with this every time I come to church. There are real men in this church, and I'm thankful to God for it. And I look up to every one of them. 
looked up to every one of you guys. And I want to be respected as being a man also in this group. And sometimes I wonder, you know, if you raise your hand, they're going to be thinking that you're one of those holier-than-thou Jesus freaks, which I am, I know. But the point is, I don't want to try to do it as some kind of show thing. Like, look at me, I'm brother spiritual. Look how heavy I am in the Lord. So I have to worry. I worry about that all the time. But then I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, which is more important, having people think of you a certain way or you expressing your worship to me and you surrendering to me and you crying out to me, your almighty heavenly father, that you need me to put you on my lap and just hold you for a while. I'm like, Lord, you're right. I don't care what anybody thinks. I've said this before and I'll say it again. I am not ashamed of Jesus in any capacity. I am desperately ashamed of how I have represented him from time to time. And that's what I'm worried about, that if somebody sees me raising my hand, or oh, I know that Chris Mathis. I worked with him down at the prison, and I remember when he did this or said that. That's the stuff I worry about. But let me say it again, and I'm not trying to judge any man in here. I respect every one of you, and I'm proud and honored to be on the same team with every one of you. If the Holy Spirit puts it on your heart to do that, and you don't do it, and your motivation is because you don't, you're worried about what other people see or say or think about you, it's cowardice. I know because I've been a coward in that regard many times through the course of my life. Try it sometime. What do you got to lose? I raise my hand. Now, don't do it because you're trying to prove something. Do it because you're expressing your worship to the Lord, saying, Lord, I surrender. That song we say, our song of the month, that if it were up to me, I would have given up on me by now. I'm a loser. God doesn't do that. He's worthy. <clears throat> Obedience, faith, and sacrifice. In Romans, one of the most famous passages of Scripture that we talk about this, can you bring that up, Romans 12:1, please? Pastor Mike even used this in a sermon a few weeks ago. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. We don't put ourselves on a cross or an altar, not literally. Now, there might come a time, and it's happened many times through the course of the church history, you might be called to lay down your life for the Lord. God forbid that ever happens on a mass scale in this country, but it might. But it has happened all over the world and other places. There have been more people that have been martyred for their faith in Jesus in the last hundred years than it has the entire 2,000 years put before that. You don't hear anything about it on the mainstream media, but I'm telling you it happens. It's not the case here. But you know what might even be harder is laying our will on the altar for the Lord lay in our life as far as what our own desires are and all that. That's our spiritual service of worship, to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. And David, who is one of our greatest inspirations for true worship, said this in the second chapter of Samuel. There was a plague. It was his fault. David brought it on, but there was a plague on Israel. And to make it go away, God commanded him to go up basically to Mount Moriah. Where I think it's really interesting, Mount Moriah, where Abraham took, was told to take his son and be a sacrifice, <clears throat> is also where David had to go up and he bought the ground up there from this guy, and it would later be on where Jesus would be sacrificed. I don't think there's something that's coincidental about that. There's a very serious significance in that area, that mountain. But David was told to go up to Mount Moriah and by the threshing floor of Arianna and offer sacrifices, burnt offerings to the Lord. 
So as he was going up, this guy, Ari Wanna, who owns all of it up there, sees David coming and asks him what's going on. The Lord's told me to come up here and offer up burnt offerings. And Ari Wanna said, King, it's all yours. You take the ground. There's the threshing sledges for the wood you can burn. There's my oxen. You take whatever it is and you do it. And David said this in verse 24 of that chapter, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, for I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which costs me nothing. Let me stress again, there's nothing we can pay to be right with God. There's nothing we can pay for our salvation. But if we're truly going to walk with him, it's going to cost us everything. That's not saying he won't give it back, but we need to be willing to make a sacrifice of it. And our motivation has to be, Lord, I'm not going to offer you anything that costs me nothing. It should cost us in our time, our talent, our treasure to serve the Lord. Do we pay our way into heaven with it? Absolutely not. A thousand times over, no. But if we're sincere in our worship to him and say he's worthy, it will cost us a sacrifice. Excuse me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time, and I ask that the truth of your word would go deep into our hearts regardless of what this vessel has shared, that you'd let the truth of your word and the truth of the principles go down deep into us. And God, we would stop and ask what our motivation is for the actions that we do to serve you. We would consider our motivations in our worship. And God, if there's any of us have turned away from expressing our worship because we're scared of what others think, then God, give us grace to rise above that. Lord Jesus, let it all be for you. Lord, you're so worthy and deserving of all praise and glory and honor and power. And we just thank you for it. In the everlasting name of Jesus, amen. Everybody, thank you very much for your attentiveness. I very much appreciate it. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord. May the wind be at your back, a song in your heart, and all that in Jesus' name. Thank you. Mm